Hey, this is Jonathan with Limitless Mindset, and this is Q&A podcast number nine coming in at the end of December here. And you guys and gals know that I try to respond to all of the intelligent comments that are made on my YouTube channel, and it's getting to be quite a load to respond to them with the same thoughtfulness that you guys often leave them. So I'm just going to address some of the questions that we got here to hopefully uh, empower you to have an even more kick-ass 2018. So the first question is, is, is out from left field, as they say. This is from a guy named Dominus Silvestris. And he commented on, I think my... Mandela Effect YouTube video about anti-gravity. He said, anti-gravity has been used and hidden from the public since the 1950s or so, and there's a secret space program and various human colonies in the solar system. Similar story in the medicine field, I guess, but it's slowly coming public now. And he recommended I check out someone named Liz Parrish. And so he's like, hey, Jonathan, I see you doing all of these podcasts about kind of these, you know, topics that are on the periphery of mainstream or are, you know, kind of outside the mainstream. And are you woke to the secret space program and anti-gravity technology? And I have to admit to you guys, I have watched almost all of the uh, conspiracy theory documentaries and kind of uh, fringy and sometimes cringy YouTube videos about all of these sorts of things, about anti-gravity and the spe- secret space program and the Nazi bell and all that stuff. And despite uh, probably seeing all the same material that, that you have seen, I remain pretty skeptical of fringe Science and I have a, I have a really good reason for being skeptical about it, which is that in the world there are billions of smartphones. There are uh, billions of people walking around with fairly high resolution cameras in their pockets, and we take photos and videos of absolutely everything. I challenge you go on the internet and on uh, Wikipedia or whatever uh, blog you want to do, do a Google search for rare animals that live in the wild. So not rare animals that are domesticated, that are in zoos, but just rare animals that are somewhere in the wild. And you'll be able to find animals where there are, you know, uh, quite literally like less than 10 of these animals living in the world, in the, in the world. Yet, people have photos of them. So, people take photos of everything. And I think if there was a, a secret space program going on and human colonies and anti-gravity technology and all sorts of fantastic things going on at Area 51, people would take photos of it and these photos would get leaked inevitably. And in fact, there would be a lot of photos uh, being leaked of it because it would be spectacularly sensational and uh, people uh, crave 
this um, social media validation so much. And if we look at if we look at you know recent uh, political history, we can see that within the CIA, the FBI, within really elite levels of government, especially recently, especially within like the past decade, there have just been a very high number of leaks of totally classified things that got leaked out of these governmental organizations that are supposed to be completely watertight. And if there was something as extraordinary as a secret space program going on, there would be a statistically significant uh, amount of uh, photographic and video evidence that would have emerged at this point. And at this point, it's just people... Uh, hypothesizing on the internet about it. And every once in a while, they'll dig up a exceptionally grainy uh, photograph that could really be any number of things. So that's my thought on that. Okay, next question was a comment from a guy on the Memantine podcast that I did. And he said, can I reset my brain... Uh, presumably using this drug memantine, trying to control the urge to masturbate. <laughs> a weird question, but I seriously want to stop. And so I got a few more details from the guy about his issue. He said, uh, I'm a 19-year-old guy and I've struggled since I was 16 or 17 on a daily basis, sometimes once or twice a day. In the extreme, um, he said that I suffer from anxiety, depression. I'm trying to refocus my sexual energy into something productive. But until now, I'm stuck. And I've tried going to the gym, for example, but I also got stuck. And then he also mentioned that he's a Muslim and that in the month of Ramadan, uh, he does a fast uh, from, the, uh, from, from the masturbating. And that uh, he's also uh, experimented with you know, doing uh, doing prayer and trying to redirect sexual energy that way. And, uh, okay, so first of all, memantine is not going to help you with overcoming a porn addiction. It's, memantine works on resetting your, uh, your nervous system, your brain's responses to uh, opioids, and uh, porn doesn't do anything to your opioid receptor. So memantine is not going to really help in that respect. Now, there are a couple of drugs that definitely would help with overcoming a porn addiction. And uh, myself, like many men, I've struggled with a porn addiction. I, I think almost all men do nowadays who have internet access. And I found the two drugs, piracetam and oxyracetam, to be especially helpful in giving you an extra degree of willpower. So check out, yeah, Mementine, not going to do anything for trying to quit porn, but uh, Paracetam, Oxyracetam are definitely going to help. And then I've got some other thoughts, especially for this young guy. So again, uh, you know, I, I understand you have a, it sounds like you have a fairly high level of shame in regards to this issue. And this is an extremely common addiction. Uh, porn is really the opium of the male masses of our era. 
porn is as addictive as uh, heroin. It, it really is common, but it's also something that you can overcome. But it's kind of, it's kind of important for you to think about your life a little bit in the long term in regards to this particular issue. So, you know, uh, as a young guy, you imagine this trajectory of your life that you'll you, that you're going to go through having this life of kind of being a a classic man that you're going to go to college, you're going to start a career, you're going to go through some troubles, there's going to be some ups and some downs and some victories and some defeats, and then eventually you'll find a beautiful woman and you'll seduce her and you'll romance her and then you'll get married and you'll end up having kids and you'll end up being the patriarch of a family, right? And that it ends up being a, uh, it ends up being a happy story for you. And specifically in regards to this issue of masturbation, this story of the classic man may not be for you. You, not all men deserve that story. Not all men deserve that life. And some men, they are going to die alone, um, kind of sad without accomplishing very much. And right now you're at a fork in the road. And we really can't say what kind of guy you are, what kind of life you're going to leave. But one thing is almost certain, which is that if you persist in this self-destructive habit, you're not, you're not going to have that good story. You're not going to have that, that story of a meaningful life as a man. Because this uh, channeling of the most energy and the most drive and motivation that you have as a man, which is your sexual, which is your sexual energy, that channeling into pixels and clicks in a, in a dark room in a shameful moment in the middle of the night, that, that, that is a path that takes all that energy away from accomplishing meaningful things. So it, this really is something that's, that's worth figuring out how to overcome it. And, uh, okay, so, so that's kind of high level, but I'll, I'll get a bit more strategic about this also. I differ a little bit from a lot of the other people that talk about porn and masturbation. And what they say is they say, just quit masturbating. Just don't masturbate. Just don't do it. Abstinence. Just don't, don't touch your dick, man. <laughs> and I differ a little bit from that. And what I actually believe in is doing what's called a tantric cultivation, which is where you do a type of meditation and a type of breathing while you masturbate alone without porn, which sounds a little weird. It sounds uh, probably like not very much fun, but what this will actually do is it will teach you uh, a breathing method and it will uh, develop what's called your periococcus muscle, which is your, your muscle that controls your ejaculation and it controls some other things also. It's, it's kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting part of the, the male biology actually. And, um, what I recommend is that don't try to just, don't try to go cold turkey on giving up masturbation. Instead, endeavor to do your masturbation, but do it as part of this tantric cultivation practice. And eventually what this will do is it will, uh, allow you to, you know, really pleasure <laughs> the woman, the woman that you're with, 
uh, presumably your wife one day, because like you said, you're Muslim. Also, I wanted to mention to you, uh, there's this guy I heard of on the internet. I don't know him very well, but he had a uh, YouTube channel and he had some interesting information. And his YouTube channel was The Alpha Muslim. And he was doing like uh, personal development stuff specifically for young Muslim guys, because I'm sure that there's some some idiosyncrasies and some 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 cultural things that are that are different from you that. Uh, this guy, I think his name is Nabil, something like that, that he might be able to speak to. So I will link to his YouTube channel um, in the article that goes with this podcast. So just just check that out, and and I hope that that helps you with this with this particular issue. Next question came from uh, Buddha in a blanket, and he was responding to my video about uh, bad science. And he said, I agree, but to ascend to a better scientific understanding, we must have a better universal culture. To have a better universal culture, we must first have a better society. In order to have a better society, we must first be educated psychologically for the purpose of making one a better, healthier parent to develop healthier children and to go from there. As a mountain is to build from atomic stuff so too humanity can be great by having children as its foundation. And yeah, I think I agree with you mostly on this, uh, which is that like if you look, there, there's a, a, a quite direct correlation between like quality of childhood experience and between child abuse and uh, social problems. And there was a book that I read, or okay, I didn't read it. I listened to the audiobook, and the title of the audiobook was The Origins of War in Child Abuse. And you actually don't need to read this book because the title says everything that the book says uh, so much more concisely. And what it did was the book just went through all these different wars at different point in human history and uh, drew the connection between these cultures that had this extremely high level of child abuse and then it ended up manifesting itself 20 years later in these terrible genocidal wars, most, most notably the wars that occurred in the last century. So I'm a big fan of what people call, uh, yeah, a peaceful parenting, which is like not spanking your children, not uh, abusing your children. And I think that is a path to a whole lot better society. But then I'll make kind of a counterpoint to this, which is that the there's these different uh, metaphysical forces that are, or not meta, I don't mean metaphysical as in like spiritual forces, but I mean uh, meta, metaphysical forces like uh, economics and political forces and things like that, that are having a, that have a short term, they're having an extremely deleterious effect on the culture. And so uh, in my content, I, I also try to talk about, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll talk about things like philosophy and politics, because the uh, trying to improve individuals, whether it's via biohacking, mindfulness, or better parenting. These things are a long-term path to a better society. But at the same time, I think there's uh, political, uh, ideological uh, type movements that can also make society better. And that's why, for example, in my, in my recent email newsletter that I put out, I talked about how I 
am trying to create the core of a secret society of people that can practice an in-group preference and that can, you know, grow to an elite level and that can control society and move it in a more beneficial uh, beneficial example. So I think it's important to have a dual focus on the micro and the macro in trying to improve society. Moving on to a, a less philosophical comment. Someone named Gunther asked, can I combine rhodial erosia with an SSRI like Lexapro? And I did some research on this and I found one case report in PubMed where there was a 68-year-old female with recurrent moderate depressive disorder and somatic syndrome who developed vegetative syndrome, restlessness feeling, and trembling since she began to ingest rhodiola rosea in addition to paroxetine. And so paroxetine is an SSRI. I don't know how close to Lexapro paroxetine is, um, so there's this one case report that was saying that rhodiola and SSRIs maybe not such a good idea. However, I went through some anecdotal reports on this on uh, longevity, and I found a couple of places where people described using rhodiola along with SSRIs and having really no problem with it. So I would suggest to you SSRIs are, are relatively high risk tool for addressing depression. There's there's just so many uh, bad side effects with them. And, and they some people do find them effective. Presumably you do because you're using it. But I would suggest instead using rhodiola and paracetam. Paracetam is a synthetic drug. It's not an adaptogen like rhodiola. Uh, but it's an extremely safe drug. And there's been a couple of studies where they use paracetam and rhodiola together and there was no undesirable side effects and they are quite effective antidepressants. So if, if you can, if, if you could, you know, maybe take a week off the Lexapro and, and it wouldn't kill you, then you try those things together. And I think it might be a whole lot uh, safer strategy. And I also think it might be cheaper because paracetam and rhodiola are pretty cost effective. I don't know. I don't know how much Lexapro is. Next question, someone's named, uh, oh boy, I have no idea how I'm supposed to pronounce this username, but he said, Jonathan, what do you do for muscle spasms? It seems that every good nootropic or smart drug I take causes this side effect. I did some research on this and I'll quote someone who very articulately diagnosed it. Paracetam increases synaptic calcium influx. If I'm not wrong, this could cause a central hyper excitability and a magnesium potassium deficiency. So that should resolve with proper supplementation. And this person and a couple of other places around the internet, they were indicating that magnesium, especially magnesium sulfate is something that is going to relieve muscle spasms. And magnesium is something that a lot of us are deficient in anyways. It's a really good thing to, to supplement anyways. And magnesium is a nootropic. So uh, I, would, I would encourage you to, yeah, just start supplementing magnesium and see if that helps. And then potassium is also a good idea. Although in your comment, you did not mention which nootropic or smart drug you're taking that causes this side effect. So I can't really precisely diagnose that, but 
Give it a try. Let me know if that works. Next, someone named Adrian asked if they can mix rhodiola and caffeine. Is that a good idea? Yeah, that's that's fine. I have mixed rhodiola and caffeine uh, innumerable times, and they are two stimulants together, so it might be highly stimulating. But uh, it it should be okay. You know, some people are real sensitive to stimulants, so I would say just uh, start the rhodiola at a dosage of about 200 milligrams and then with the caffeine well it depends upon your caffeine tolerance but just start with a lower dosage and then work your way up and then if it's a bit too stimulating then maybe decrease the caffeine because rhodiola with rhodiola you can take a, a a maximum dosage of about 700 milligrams you won't want to do more uh than that that's the high end of the the studies that I looked at. But yes, I love rhodiola. I love caffeine. Why not have them together? And then finally, I got a question from a friend of mine, Dave. And he said, what would you say is the best biohack for an aging 70-year-old guy who is getting older and you want to keep him sharp? And, you know, Dave, it really depends upon... Uh, it really depends upon upon him because whatever bad habits someone might have, uh, they really compound over their lifetime. So earlier uh, there was this younger guy who asked me about like uh, porn addiction, and if you're like a 17 year old guy with a porn addiction, like I can, there's pretty generic advice that you can give all 17 year old guys that have a porn addiction that they'll be able to like overcome their porn addiction and have a good life, uh, right, and that they can, you know, recon, uh, that they can, uh, abstaining from that and taking drugs like paracetam that reinforce and rebalance the natural arousal and reward system, that's gonna, like, get them over that uh, high uh, dopamine tolerance that they have as a result of using porn chronically. That's that's advice that you can, like, generalize to, like, somebody who's 17 years old and has a little bit of a bad habit. But seventy, but someone who's seventy years old, that's uh, that's a little bit more of a complicated situation. And I think that the best bet in that case would be to spend a couple hundred bucks getting blood panels and hormonal tests done. And this will narrow down they this will narrow down his specific issues that he has to work on. And without that information, the best biohack for him is is really quite speculative. And maybe along with the blood and hormonal test, you'd also maybe want to do like a 23andMe and get that that raw uh genotyping data about him, and then that'll give you some more ideas about what are the uh, disease, the aging diseases that he could anticipate needing to, needing to address in the future. And without that information, uh, that's really kind of, uh, that's really kind of speculative. So maybe, maybe you want to get back to me on that. Uh, maybe you guys want to get on a, a Skype call with me sometimes, sometime soon. And, uh, I would also just say, you know, uh, if someone has, if someone has, has waited till 70 to start like biohacking or living healthy, it it may be too late for them. One of my favorite expressions is that uh, an ounce of cure is worth a pound of prevention. 
And if someone has, you know, if, if someone's looking at prevention after, uh, after 70 years of not dealing with, uh, not, or if someone is looking at cure after 70 years of ignoring prevention, then what they'd want to do is, uh, they, they would need to do a lot and there would be presumably a, a fairly high expense of different strategies and tools and supplements and things like that that they would want to deal with. And my own, my own parents are getting to that age. And my own, my own parents have always been like very, very mainstream when it came to managing their health. They always ate the standard American diet. They weren't very consistent or uh, disciplined about exercise. And they always use, just used whatever pharmaceutical drugs the doctors prescribed. They, they, uh, they, 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 weren't, they didn't think outside of the mainstream very much. And so I, I try to have like a little bit of uh, a degree of like forgiveness for people who are in the, that came in the generations before us, because in the generations before us, they just received the most crappy health advice their, their entire life. And it's really just been within the past like 10 to 15 years that good uh, health practices have entered the mainstream. And for, you know, 50, 60 years, uh, the health advice was just was just garbage. It was just terrible advice that would make people less healthy. And so, so you know, I would say you know try to have a little bit of forgiveness because in a lot of in a lot of ways these people just didn't know any uh, better. But yeah, get those uh, get those tests done. And then what you'd probably want to do is you'd probably want to um, oh I'll add another and and your dad is your dad's probably a great guy because you're a great guy. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll make some general, I'll make some general advice here, which is that when it comes to people's health, you don't want to care for people more than they care for themselves. That's just, that's just a recipe for kind of like dysfunction and frustration in, in your relationships. So this is what I would say is I would say if there's a, if there's a person and they're like, Hey, I'm having some health problems. What, what should I do? What would you recommend? I would say instead of being like, Oh, let me come to your rescue and do all this research for you and buy all these things for you and help you out with all these things. I would say to put things in their court a little bit and instead do this. Like, uh, you know, if you're dealing with an older person, buy them a book, like buy them the book Headstrong that I recently uh, reviewed, which was a really excellent book about biohacking mitochondria for holistic health. Buy them the book Headstrong and then just be like, hey, read this book. And then see if they read the book. And if they read the book, then you know, like, hey, there's a level of like commitment here where it's worthwhile for me to actually try to try to help this person. But if they if they just you know leave the book on their nightstand and then it gets dusty, well, don't don't care for someone else more than they care for themselves. Okay, final question here. Okay. There was a guy named Mark and he said, hey, Jonathan, it's been a long time. I have a question that you'd be the most qualified person I know to answer. I'm getting into health tracking. Oh, this is Mark from Medellin. Yes, we enjoyed some some cough, some cups of coffee at, at Pergamino together in, in Medellin. It seemed like a lifetime ago. And he said, okay, I'm getting into personal data gathering and machine learning statistical analysis. I'm looking at personal transfer analysis and I've also got the data sources I need. And the last piece of the puzzle is an app 
that allows me to enter supplements, enhancers, etc., with the dose and time of day, and then allows me to export that data into Excel. Do you know of an iPhone app that would support that? Hope it's okay for me to ask you a question out of the blue. Hey, Mark, good, good to hear from you. Um, so, okay, yes, yeah, so, so uh, a couple things. I'll, I'll answer your question on kind of like a, a philosophical level and then also on a practical level. There's this temptation when you first get into biohacking to get um, super meticulous and myopic about tracking the data trends and being like, okay, I did 10 milligrams of paracetam today and then tomorrow I'm going to do 10 milligrams, but tomorrow I'm going to do 10 push-ups before I do 10 milligrams. And then, uh, you know, just just plugging in tons and tons of variables so that you can make predictions. And there can be a bit of kind of like uh, analysis paralysis that you can get into with that if you uh, start just tracking these, uh, all these details ad, ad infinitum. And you can kind of, and sometimes you can also kind of confuse yourself. And I've, in the past, I, I did that. I got a little bit crazy with spreadsheets at, uh, tracking these different things. And you're always um, you're always going to kind of track a uh, insufficient number of variables. There's there's always going to be like variables in there that are going to throw your tracking off. And so the the data that you get out of this, it actually becomes uh, it, it can become less useful over over time because you have you have so many different variables in there. Like for example, right now I have a curious uh, thing going on where I have this little rash on the back of my neck. It's not a really bad rash, but I just have this, this rash um, that's kind of noticeable on my neck. And I thought that it had to do with some of the nootropics that I was taking. I thought maybe it was resulting from some Nupept that I was taking, but I really wasn't sure. And so I did a series of um, A-B experiments where I was removing, where I went off of all my nootropics for a couple of days, and then I started adding them back in one by one by one to try to hypothesize whether one was causing it or not. And at this point, I've cycled completely off, and then I've cycled completely back on everything that I was stacking together. And I'm not seeing a really clear correlation between the rash and the nootropics or between the rash and any single one of the nootropics that I'm taking. So at this point I'm like, God, do I have, is there like an item of clothing that I'm wearing that's maybe causing a rash or is there, I don't know, have I, have I started like eating, is it because I'm eating produce from a new grocery store and there's something on it that I'm having a allergic reaction to? So you can track all that data, but um, what you actually want to do, I was just reading Nassim Taleb's book, and you want to come up with what's called disconfirmatory, uh, disconfirmatory evidence. You want to come up with like a hypothesis that, that is disprovable and then set out to prove it. Because if you're looking for, if you're collecting data um, with the endeavor of supporting a hypothesis, um, you know, me and you are, are uh, we're, we're biohackers, we're amateur researchers, and there's going to be variables in there that we're just not knowing about. So what I like to do is a 
a simple experiment. I like to do a simple mindfulness experiment, which is I just do breath counting during my meditation. And that breath counting during meditation, the level of like focus that I have on the breath counting during meditation is a really good measurement of how focused I am at that at that day. And so then I can just think about what were the nootropics I did to, I did that day? What were the habits? What was the kind of diet that I ate that day? And I've I've eventually kind of, uh, I, I do some tracking of things, but I've simplified my tracking down quite a bit using just that breath counting exercise. And actually I did a video explaining this in a bit more depth. So I'll link to that video and you may want to try that. But then to be more specific, so uh, there's an app that I really like called coach.me and you just it's a habit tracking app and in that habit tracking app I track the nootropics and the dosages that I do in a given day and I find that kind of useful because I'm also tracking the rest of my habits in there and so if some given nootropics are supportive of my willpower and self with self-control and other good habits then it's going to show pretty conspicuously in that app and i can also use that app to look back at my history and say like oh okay so you know two weeks ago i was using this particular type of herb that week i, I find it pretty useful for that there's Okay, I think there's a couple of other apps that are doing this out there on the internet. Actually, I had some guys that had contacted me about a year ago, and they told me that they were developing something that was quite similar to what you're describing here, but they never they never followed up with me. So, you know, who knows? Maybe this is a, a market, you know, a market demand where there's there's not something out there that's that's doing it but uh, i would say yeah you know maybe you know try doing the analysis the thorough analysis thing for a while and then try just using uh breath counting as your heuristic of uh, effectiveness with those things okay i think that's all the questions that we had today so as always i'm jonathan and i look forward to a continued conversation with you <laughs>